we were going to, we typically do the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of the week, but our bread makers for the week uh, have a sick child, so we're going to do Lord's Supper next week. Uh, but I'm excited that you're here today. Um, I think we, we missed, uh, I thought somebody else walked in that I thought I saw, and I don't see them now. <laughs> Actually, not you. <laughs> it was someone else, I thought, but maybe I was just completely wrong. Um, I did see you walk in. <laughs> But you're not who, never mind, this has nothing to do with the sermon. Let's talk about the sermon because as Eric says, uh, I'm the only preacher he knows that can, uh, can derail my own sermon. So I haven't even started yet. I derail myself better than anyone else. Here's what I can tell you. I'm so excited that you're here today. I am just pumped that you were here. And we're going to talk about what I think gets Jesus excited and so what I want you to think about before we even read the scripture is just something that you get giddy about. Like, you know, that thing that people say, don't get them talking about this because if they start talking about this, they're never going to shut up about it, okay? So my kids, for me, it's the, the socioeconomic theory of signaling. I can just go on and on and on about it. If you want to know more about it, you should read this economist named John List. He is the lead economist for Walmart now. He was the lead economist for Lyft before that. He was the lead economist for Uber before that. It's fascinating stuff. If you can't tell, I want to start talking about it right now. I want you thinking about that subject for you or for someone you love. And think about that with what we're about to read from Jesus. So this is what the Word of the Lord says. Just then, his disciples returned. Now, I'm going to, before we go any further, and I typically don't do this, but I I want to set this up. The just then, the portion before that was the Samaritan woman in the well. If you remember that story, Jesus is walking through Samaria, a land that a good Jew would avoid because they're, this is not a term we would typically use, but they're they're half-breeds. They're not Jewish. They're not Gentile, they're half-breeds, okay? And that's, truthfully, that's the way the ancient Near Easterners viewed them. Uh, Ancient Near Eastern Jews were like, you don't go through Samaria. And Jesus went through Samaria. And not only did he go to Samaria, but he talked with a Samaritan. And not only did he talk with a Samaritan, but he talked with a Samaritan woman. This was something that a good Jewish man would not do. And Jesus did. Shocked her so much that she was like, how can you talk to me? You're Jewish, And I'm a Samaritan woman. I mean, it literally shocked her so much she asked him. And he begins to tell her about how he has life to offer to her, and she's changed by it so much that she runs off to tell her community. She gets so excited about this. Oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. She runs back. That's what happened right here. So right before this, his disciples were gone. That story happens before this. Now we're talking. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Uh, Could this be the Messiah? They came out uh, of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? 
My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped uh, the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Now, I want you to think about, whoops, oh, they said to the woman, (laughs) we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I want you to think for just a second. Now, in sports psychology, there's this term called flow, and you can debate whether or not it actually exists. A lot of psychologists would say it doesn't exist, and some would say it does. Flow is this mindset where you get into something so well that it just kind of becomes natural and easy to you. Uh, Quite often it's talked about with basketball, where a basketball player, I think of Steph Curry, who just seems to reach a point where he can't miss a shot. If you've ever watched Steph Curry ever play, he's, he's playing, he's doing well, he's doing well, and then he reaches this point where it just seems like he could just throw the ball up in any method. And it goes in the basket. Like, you can watch shots on YouTube, just incredible shots from him. And he'll talk about it. He just reaches this point where it seems like the basket gets be- bigger. Now, think about in your own life, things not so much where you just do things better, but things where you just get so enthralled with something that you don't care about anything else. Maybe you've been playing music and you've reached a point where you're like, all I really want to do right now is work on this song. Maybe you've been studying in school and and all the other stuff, you're like, this is meaningless, this is meaningless, this is meaningless. I know I have to know it for the test, but this is meaningless. And then you see this thing and you're like, this is incredible. I just want to focus on, this is amazing. Maybe you're baking and you just get enamored with this and all you want to do is focus on this more. I believe what we just read is Jesus hitting this point of, well, what people when I was growing up would have said is, you know, what floats your boat? We just saw what what floated Jesus' boat, where he gets so excited that he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. What he's literally saying here is, what just happened to me has filled me up, and I'm not even concerned about eating right now. He goes from, I need food, I need something to drink, which is literally what he was asking the, uh, the woman for, give me something to drink, to saying instead, I'm satisfied and I just want to focus on this. I just want to spend more time on this. 
He even elaborates a little bit further when the disciples, and I love the disciples, okay? They're so wonderful. And, and I, I'm just going to assume this was Peter that said this. I don't remember if any of the other gospels say who said this, but I love Peter because Peter just says what everybody else is thinking quite often. Um, and, and they just, they, the disciples said, did somebody else give him food? And he has to explain it. He's like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I think what we're seeing here is Jesus just has this encounter and he reaches that point that we were talking about earlier, that point where you, you look at your loved one and you're like, please don't get them on this subject because they'll never shut up. Please don't get Robert talking about the economic theory of signaling because he's just going to go on and on and on about er how everything we do ultimately is about signaling that we belong to one tribe and not to another. And we do that in the way we dress and we do that in the Bibles that we carry. We do that in everything. Don't get him on that subject. And you're laughing because you're like, please don't get on that subject, Robert. But you have your subject too. And we just saw what Jesus' subject was. Now, this whole scripture that we read beforehand, what was it pointing back to? What was the experience that happened beforehand? Yeah, a woman who, according to social standards, he should have thought was less than because of her nationality, because of her gender, and there are hints within the text. The text does not point blank to say this, but there are hints within the text that even in the demographic she belonged to, she was considered less than. And, and that hint is one that if you know the culture at the time and, and the way things would have been done, uh, you know that her coming out at noon to get water probably means that she was trying to avoid other people. Now, this is, that's some conjecture on our part, okay? The Scripture points it out, but it doesn't say, and she did this to avoid other people. But what we know is she had many husbands beforehand, and Jesus even says the man that she is with right now is not her husband. She was probably considered a loose woman. That doesn't mean she was loose. It could have been the social uh, circumstances she was in forced her in this, but we can make some conjecture that in, even in her society, she was considered marginalized and less than. Jesus just spent time talking with someone who everyone else considered the person to be avoided. And he gets so excited about it. He gets so excited, not just about talking to her, but about letting her know you are loved and you were received in grace. I know exactly who you are. I know all that you have done, both good and bad, and I choose you, and I want to give you this water of life because you are mine. And he gets so excited about it that he's like, I don't need to eat. This is what floats his boat. This is what he gets really, really excited about. I, I'm, I'm convinced that, that Christianity is ultimately about us knowing what our purpose in life is. That doesn't mean it's not about us receiving forgiveness of sins. It is. It doesn't mean that it's not about us uh, glorifying God. It is, but that ultimately our purpose is we were created in the image of God to have a relationship with God. And when we know our purpose, it helps us to live. 
Okay, for all the people who have been involved in business, this is about to be old hat for you because about 10 years ago, a gentleman named Simon Sinek, who some of you may have heard uh, of, he did a TED Talk, and it was, it was Find Your Why, and it made all the circles, okay? I mean, all the circles. Like, even in my, my chaplain training, it made all the circles. And it was great. And he talked about companies that were producing products and the difference between those who said, this is what we are all about, and we're going to produce products that are what we're all about versus companies that just said, hey, we're just trying to produce a product that somebody will buy. And his whole point was to find your why. It, he used Apple as an example. Apple was, we want to, and I don't remember their exact why, but it was, we want to produce products that change the way people view things. And so they shaped those products towards that. It went all through it. And, and the thing is, is that he didn't just come up with that from business. He came up with that from a Christian philosopher named Saran Kierkegaard. It's a fun, fun word, okay? It, it, anytime you can throw out a name like that, you just seem smarter even if you're not. <laughs> okay? Saran Kierkegaard said, and you can just make up anything else after that because nobody else will know. But Kierkegaard has a book that is titled Purity of heart is to will the one thing. His whole point was this. When you know what's most important in your life, everything else falls into line underneath it. And that's the problem. So often we have multiple things that we're like, I have priorities rather than I have a priority. So I have like, 10 things that are really important to me. But I don't have any one thing that is the defining characteristic of my life. And Simon Sinek's whole point was, find out what that one thing is. And when you find out what that one thing is, everything else can fall in line underneath it. It enables you to say yes to some things and no to some things. And you no longer have to say yes and no based off whether or not they are good. So if, if my one thing... And I, I'm going to get down to, I believe Jesus should be our one thing. We're going to talk about that. But let's say, if my one thing is, uh, I want to be the best parent I can be. It means I can say no to some things that are really good. They just don't help me to be the best parent I can be. And that was Simon Sinek's whole point. That was Saran Kierkegaard's whole point was, find out what your one thing is. And what did Jesus get excited about? He got excited about following the will of God, and the will of God was that this marginalized, forsaken woman would know that she was loved and a child of God in the midst of how other people were treating her, in the midst of her own choices, some of which may have been sinful. She was claimed by God, and Jesus got so excited about that. He was like, I have food you don't know about. Following the will of the Father is, is my food. This is not the first time he's used this as an example of food in the sense of, um, of choosing God's will. If you remember in the temptations, uh, not, not the band, <laughs> but in the temptations that Jesus went through, um, Satan offers him food. 
which is a good thing. And Jesus responds with, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He uses this to counteract Satan. You're saying eat right now, and what I'm saying is it's more important for me to follow God. Following that will shapes his life. If you remember the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus goes there and rightly prays and says, Father, let this cup pass. I don't want to go through this. And he ends that prayer with, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. We're at the woman on the well, and Jesus is so excited because his entire purpose is to follow the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that the lost might be found. People having a hundred sheep and one sheep getting lost and the shepherd leaving the other 99 and going to find the one and then celebrating about that. This is why Jesus tells uh, parables about a woman who loses a coin and sweeps the entire house to find that coin. And when she finds that coin, she celebrates. I like to think probably spending more money than the coin was worth just to find that and the reason I bring this up is because so often we think Jesus celebrates the one time when we were fallen and he finds us and then after that it's all on us to not never fall down again and the reality is he knows who we are he knows that Robert Terrell does not get it right and messes up not in small ways like saying the wrong date for the Super Bowl in small group, but in big ways where I say, Jesus is my Lord, and then I live in ways that do not reflect that. And Jesus gets excited when I realize through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I am desperate and in need of Him, and He doesn't hide from me. He claims me, and He celebrates over me. We're really okay with people being in a fallen state once, But then we like to think, then you become a saint and never fall again. And the reality is of Scripture, it's shown again and again and again. The followers of Jesus fail and Jesus claims them. Look at Peter. The rock. The rock. And he's the least rock-like individual there is. I had a pastor that did not have a lot of good things that he did, but he had one saying that I loved, and that was that Peter was the Barney Fife of the, uh, of the New Testament. And most of you are too young to know who that is. Thank you, Mariah, for doing that face. Andy Griffith's show, Barney Fife, is the guy who opens his mouth and inserts his foot at all times. He's a deputy who can only be trusted with one bullet that can never be allowed in his gun. That's who Peter is. It's because I just brought it up. It was not a part of If you look at my transcript for the sermon, it was not a part. I just brought it up. That's what floats his boat. I cannot stress it enough. And the Samaritan woman gets so excited I just picture, and this is not scripture, this is me picturing, okay? But the way I read the scripture there, she gets so excited about what Jesus has just done for her that she just goes, I have to tell everybody, and just runs away from him at that point. It's just like, you're the greatest, and just goes. The woman who is excluded, 
excluded because she was a woman, excluded because she was a Samaritan, and most likely, again, I cannot stress enough, I don't ever want to put words in Scripture's mouth. I think Scripture is saying this, but it is conjecture, was most likely excluded by the Samaritans. Goes from a person who has to come to the well at noontime where there, uh, when others will not be there, and she runs and becomes one of the first evangelists. One of the first people to proclaim the good news. And what is the good news? The good news is that God loves to redeem the lost. God loves to claim the sheep that has fallen aside. God loves to save us from our sins. She preaches in such a way. <laughs> she preaches in such a way that the village comes to know Jesus. Here, this is what it says. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Now, think of that. He told me everything I ever did. I want you to think for just a few minutes on what you've done over the past week. Now, there's some that you would love for people to know about. I did this, and this was wonderful. <laughs> There's some that you would not want anybody to know about. And she's excited about the fact that he knows everything about her. Her victories and her failures. Where she did the moral right and she did the moral wrong. He told me everything I ever did and she's excited about the fact that he knows her. Yes, ma'am, Mariah? Yeah. And what happened instead? Yeah, and not only does he still love her, not only does he talk to her, if you notice a little small line there, he stays with them for two days. He literally changes his plans because of what just happened. He was going through Samaria. The whole purpose was to get from Galilee to Judea. He was going through there. As a good ancient Near Eastern Jew, he should have gone as fast as possible if he had to go through there at all. And what happens is he has this conversation with a woman that many would consider lost, and she is found, and he's so excited about it. Not only does he not eat, now he's staying there because he knew everything about him, and he loved him. They use a phrase that is light to us, would not have been light at the time. They use a phrase that is this. It is the Savior of the world. They probably knew at the time that the, uh, the Caesar of Rome, Caesar Augustus, was beginning to use this phrase for himself. The most powerful person in the world was using this phrase of himself. And they look at Jesus, the one who all he did was know who they were and love them. <laughs> and they say, he's the Savior. Because I'm convinced what we need in this world is not political right, uh, not political power. What we need in this world is someone to know who we are and to love us. To know what lifts us up, to what gets us down, to know our failures, to know our victories and to love us. And the beauty is, I think this passage is describing, that's what gets Jesus excited. So what does this mean for us? 
What is our why based off this? Well, the easy answer is to say Jesus is our why. <laughs> the thing is, is that sometimes the easy answers are right, but it means we have to figure out what that means. For Jesus to be our why, what does that mean? I think it means we need to love the things He loves. What does He love? Well, He loves us. He loves the fallen around us. He loves us when we've fallen. <laughs> we need to love the things that Jesus loves and act in that. And that goes against everything else that's in the world because in the world, you, you hang out with those that are like you. I'm smiling because what's running through my mind is that's the whole point of economic signaling. <laughs> so what is your why? Scripture says that we should have no other gods before the Lord. And that why is what is most important in your life that shapes everything else. In religion, we would call that your God. What is your why? If your why is per perfection, and for a lot of people it is, okay? I have to succeed at this. Pam would tell you, this week I struggled with, well, that trip to Honduras. I struggled because I felt like I'd failed. It was a big struggle for me. I felt like I had failed and I'd let down people that needed uh, me not to let them down. Now, intellectually, I knew that wasn't the case. But emotionally, it was crushing me. If my why is to succeed and to help people all the time, then I'm a pretty terrible Robert this week. It's okay, though, because my why is Jesus, and I know that He loves me. I just have to remind myself of that a lot. What is your why? And how is it shaping your life? So, before I end... Does anybody have anything else to add? Okay. Here's what I would encourage us to do this week. Oops, I think I went the wrong direction. It's the same thing. I just had a silhouette. There we go. Um, this week, I, I like to, to do a lot of the same simple things. Uh, all the time. I pray a prayer called the Prayer of St. Patrick's a lot, um, uh, a whole lot. I pray the Lord's Prayer a whole lot um, because I need these reminders. Right now, I'm just going through the Psalms. I will go through the Psalms all year. And if you read the Psalms uh, consistently, what you begin to realize is they're almost all the same. There's like three different versions of them, and they're the same thing over and over again. Um, I need you. <laughs> Thank you for helping me. Would you destroy somebody else for me? Those are basically the three <laughs> forms of the Psalms. <laughs> um, just repeat it over and over and over again. This week, I would encourage you to go, Jesus loves to find the lost. And to realize when that's you and to realize when that's others around you. And ask how that shapes your week. 
How does it cause you to look at yourself? When you know Jesus knows everything you ever did, good and bad, how does it cause you to look at others around you? And is there anything that you're doing in your life that is not reflecting that why? That could be not loving yourself. That could be not forgiving an enemy. It could be a lot of things. But I would encourage you to spend that week realizing what Jesus' why is and trying to make sure what yours is. Simon Sinek may have done it for business, but there is still a lot of truth there. Because <laughs> again, he stole it from a Christian Danish philosopher who was talking about Jesus. Would you join with me in our closing prayer, please? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Go in the name of the one who gets so excited that he does not need to eat. He gets that excited over the lost being found. He gets that excited about us being found. Have a great week, okay? If you're on video, thank you for joining us today.